host, Sophie Lay, Lydia Mackay, and we are really excited to be here as always. And I was just about to complain that I'm a little bit hungry, but it's just making me extra excited for my pasta dinner. So, you know, that's a good thing as a runner, right? That is good. It is late for us. We are, you know what? We were recording 12 hours ago this morning at eight o'clock and we're back again quarter to eight in the evening we are full-time podcasters you could say but um I'm glad to be here glad to get this episode out to you all it's a fascinating interesting and insightful listen so we are excited for that but before we get into the bulk of the show Lydia give us a quick rundown on your last fortnight of life my last fortnight of life has mm. been I'm going to say good. I think it's been a little bit better than the previous fortnight. It's so weird to say. I don't think I ever say better, but like, I think I've been a bit more organized and like my hamstrings been a bit better. My perineal's been a bit better. Running volume's been really good. I like had a little deload week to manage my perineal tendinopathy. And it's just amazing when you follow your own advice, like how good stuff feels. Like I just was so pleased. I was like, how good is it when you like drop your volume a little bit and then uh, your body feels your body. better? Mm, fantastic. I think it's yeah. nice when it works. It doesn't yeah. always, but. Well, I mean, I, I feel like for the most part it does. It's just like about being patient, right? Like um, it's all just load management for the most part with running. And I think it's so easy to get carried away. And I think we frequently try and fool ourselves and convince ourselves that we are managing our load, but we're pushing to try and do a little bit more. And I will be honest, I do feel like I was asking for trouble a little bit this week. Like I'm already at 65Ks and it's Friday. And well, actually, no, take that back. Not asking for trouble. Definitely asking for trouble with that because that that's like another 10 to 20K run is like pretty standard. A 70-ish to 80K week is like pretty standard for me. So that's fine. But I did like a 20k on Wednesday and then on Thursday I did 20ks again and 8ks of those were at the track so oh. I was like a bit nervous going to the track but I had like said that I was going to go and I wanted to go and the plan was to like turn up mostly just there for the social and that was awesome fun I love the Thursday track crew shout out to Kings Cross slash Turbo Runners love that group it's so fun um everyone's really friendly really welcoming it's free to go you just rock up and everyone just gets out and gets their session done and there's also some really fast people there which is always like makes me feel inspired and excited um but anyway aside from that I, I the plan was to go there and just like cruise and just be there for the social um but it's so hard like it's so hard to do that and it was kind of a good session for that because it was four 1600s so I was like it's not that fast that I'm gonna be like sprinting but it's also a distance where you're like hurting and I just did the first one so fast what was the actual I, time I was looking at your splits but oh yeah it was six minutes so like it that's 345 mm-hmm. pace which like isn't actually that fast like I think I would have been a lot more comfortable with that pace if I was like fresh feeling good and like mm-hmm. not managing all these things not having done 20Ks a day before, run in the morning, managing the perineal, like not having really done any intensity work for the last four months, basically, with my injury. Um, so, like, you know what I mean? Like, it just was mm. not appropriate. Like, no. I just, like, I don't know what I was thinking. I just, you know what? I wasn't thinking. I just wasn't looking at my watch. And I was just, like, running with the pack. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this feels so nice, like, in my nasal breathing, like, body's feeling good. But then, like, I got to the second lap and I was like, oh, like, this is actually, like, a bit of a pace <laughs> like I actually am feeling the work <laughs> so the second rep they all just got slower and it was fine and I um it was meant to be five or six and I only did four because I was like I don't want to push things so it was really sensible of me and I think it's so hard to pull back even though I had the intention going there that I wasn't going to like push myself just going to there to be there for the social blah 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 um but I still found it hard in the moment to be like I'm gonna do less of the session like I I honestly had always planned to do less of the session yet I still felt really awkward being like oh do I tell people that I'm only gonna do you know what I mean like Mm. isn't it weird how yeah like you get in your head about things like that and I was like no one bloody cares everyone's just there doing their own thing and like yeah I I don't think I've ever really um struggled too much with like comparing myself to others but there's something about 
it almost seemed unfinished that mm. I don't like and I find yep. quite hard, um, which almost kind of leads us into what our podcast episode is a little bit about today, but I'll hold back on that. Um, but anyway, overall, really good. Body's feeling really good now. Um, perineal, amazing. Hamstring, amazing. I mean, that's a little bit too strong. I'm not symptom-free, definitely not, but I'm like really, really good. So I'm just hoping that in another month, I'm going to be feeling particularly good. And guess what I also do, which you'd be really proud of. Oh, what? Should I actually I mean, guess? Maybe not. Pr- yeah, not? guess. Guess, guess, guess. Is it a, was it a run or can I have a clue? Well, it's run, it's run related, context. obviously. Did you sign up That's to an event? Yes. The we Sydney should... Harbour 10K? No, actually, oh, no. City... Oh, you've already done. Oh. Did you do that? Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought you already did that. Oh, yay. <laughs> no, I wasn't doing it. I said I had no, no intention no, that, of doing it. That last conversation we had, it seemed like you were going to. And I well, have a memory of you doing it. But I'm glad you've actually done it. Well done. Yeah. And I've even gone to the effort to apply for the preferred Oh, that's start. right. That's I knew that. See, I knew you had to start oh, the process. Oh, I told you. Okay. Don't Gosh, elite. <laughs> Why are you hanging out with me in the blue? Oh, as if, mate. I if I'm doing city to surf, I'm doing city to surf. I'm no, turning you up. Gotta enjoy it. And like the longer you're out there, the more fun you have. If you're running fast, you're gonna miss all the fun parts. Oh, I'm gonna have fun at the end. No, the fun is the journey, not the destination. As oh, I all my, my whole life is a journey. I'm ready for the destination. I'm ready to get to Bondi and I'm gonna have <laughs> a beer. Yes, I am. What? First beer that I've had in years slash first alcoholic drink I've had in years no not actually but something like that well basically six months a year anyway not important I might let my hair down I might not but the main thing is overall everything's good still like so in fact you know one of the things that I want to say what is the deal with when you do a hard workout and then you're so energized and it's hard to sleep like yeah that's the trouble with evening sessions yeah not ideal yeah. So for anyone who trains in the evening, tell me, how do you just fall asleep after? Because I'm so excited. Even though I didn't have the best session, I was like getting home and I was like, oh, what a good session. And like, and I just couldn't go to sleep. And then I woke up early and I was like, oh, yeah, good. And it, like still energized. I'm like, mm. oh, this, here we go again. Like, when's it going to hit me in a week from now? And then I'm going to be like, oh my goodness. Like, here goes the body again. Here goes my fatigue. But anyway, not important. Mm. You need if to do some breath work. Regulate the system. Calm the nerves. I think I'm just, yeah, no, you're right. I do need to do that. I mean, to be honest, I get to sleep okay eventually, but then I wake up. And the thing is normally I have zero trouble with sleep. It's only been like a couple of times after doing track at night that I've just been like energized. So mm. I think overall I'm pretty good at chilling. I need to chill sometimes. And sleeping, but I just, it's something about the track. Like, it's so exciting. I genuinely find it so exciting and mm. so fun. So yeah. I'm glad I enjoy it. I'm glad that that's what gets me excited <laughs> and not other things. But anyway, so tell me how we're going. How's the hamstring? You did bay to bay. You've pushed it a little bit and you're doing surprisingly okay. But tell me to <laughs> You sound so nervous. I'm so I happy. <laughs> I'm so happy. I did bay to bay and it was bloody quick and I'm really pleased because similar to you I haven't done any speed work in what feels like forever just lots of easy short slow jogs all that jazz for the last two months so bay to bay it's one of those things that I've just done forever it was the first fun fun run I ever did and it's very nostalgic and I get to catch up with lots of nice people that I used to train with so it was one of those ones where I was like I'm going to do it in some form and I was kind of tossing up the few weeks leading up like do I just jog it do I like walk run like what do I do because I had only run uh, five or six k's most what imagine if you walk run it like that would just yeah. feel so strange I, I mean, know oh. but I just wasn't sure if I could run 12 k's like it was just like I sorry I knew I could physically run it but would it when would the pain come on would the pain come on all that stuff I just had no idea um so I sort of went into it like I'm just gonna give it a go and if it starts to hurt then I'll just cut back and I will deal with the consequences later but it just pain never came on. I just felt so good. Honestly, mentally like felt the strongest I felt in an event and I was just loving it. And like the Ks kept ticking over. I was like, oh, another one done. Oh, another one. And I was looking at the pace. Like the first K as always was really fast, like more than I should have done, but that just happens every time. I was like, that's fine. It'll drop a little bit, but we'll just see how we go. And then yeah, each K kept coming along and it wasn't slowing down too much. And I was like, this is good. Like, when are we going to lose it? Like 
the fitness is going to go like 6Ks maybe, like 8, 10. And when I got to 10, it did get hard. It's like if you know the Bay Bay course, you go around Adcock Park, which just doesn't feel very direct. It feels like you're almost there, but you're not quite there. So that was a bit of a struggle mentally. Um, and then just coming over that little bridge at the end felt pretty like just it was hard. It was interesting because my fitness felt okay, my lungs felt okay, which I feel like is normally my limiting factor. But it just felt like I genuinely couldn't move my legs any quicker. Like they just I was at my max pace. Like I just couldn't move them anymore. And I felt like, yeah, it definitely got hard that last K because I was trying to get under time and was pushing a little bit. But throughout the whole thing, like it felt hard, it felt controlled but I felt like I genuinely just physically couldn't move quicker. So that was interesting. And I feel like it makes sense. I haven't done any fast stuff. I haven't moved my legs quickly <laughs> for a while. And I think that's something that doesn't come naturally to me. So it's definitely something that I need, I need to train and practice um, in order to translate that into an event. So yeah, interesting learnings and just had a great time. Like loved it. So good. And that was what, five days ago or something like that. And hamstring is feeling good. It's been fine since then. Um, my weird stiff ankle thing, I noticed a little bit on my jog today, but I am booked in on Monday with Tom DeGando to get my custom orthotics put in. So I'm very excited about that. I um, feel like we should have a whole episode about that because it's an interesting topic, but I'm interested to see how that changes things. For those that don't know, I've just had a very stiff ankle, Achilles calf, um, a little bit achy, a few things going on. And my left foot is just very different to my right. So we're just trying to figure that out and wondering whether that's contributing to the hamstring or if that's making a difference to other things. Um, so we'll see how the orthotics go. But yeah, since then, just having a bit of a recovery week, had a nice run at Centennial. I was going to say Central Park. That'd be fun. We should we should go there one day. Um, Centennial Park and then just a few short jogs. Um, so I'm going to try and do maybe 13Ks tomorrow because that's run club. And then we'll just see how we respond to that. Goodness, there's so many parts. I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to being a part of the journey to you getting healthy again because you have this theme of just like randomly doing events and randomly running PBs and just randomly being like, oh, I didn't go that fast. Oh, that was a PB. <laughs> Is that how I sound? <laughs> no, but you do. Like, there's been so many things where you're like, oh, I'm just trying to think back to my previous time and it just must have been a PB. And I'm like, what is the deal with you just randomly doing this? So just wait until you get this hamstring, foot, ankle, Achilles sorted. Yeah. going to be on bloody fire. And I'm also going to be really strict and like, what's the word? Strict, like really strong version of strict. If anyone wants to see the video, version. I'm like doing the pointy finger. <laughs> the pointy finger looks scary. I'm yeah, intimidated. Yeah, so no Speed work but, right now, okay? But the track sounds so fun. You can't just tell me all that fun stuff about the track and then oh, tell yeah. me I can't go. It's not nah, fair. you can't go. You've got commitments on the Thursday night anyway, so you are out. You're evicted. No, nah, I'll work. cancel those. I'm in. Mate, you're out. You're I out. want the I want the sleepless night. I want oh, the track no. high. <laughs> no, it's only for special occasions, okay? Oh. Let's savor it. Also, can I just say, back to how good the track was. Oh, all right. Oh, <laughs> go on. This is going to bring back to the episode. I love that feeling of when it gets really hard and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is hard. Like, I feel like I'm going to vomit. Like, it's such a good, like, oh, you love it. I enjoy that. I enjoy the suffering. And See, that brings that's us where to where we differ. <laughs> that is where we differ. I think that's the difference between me and you. <laughs> is, that is not nice. It's awful. Once it's over, I'm like, oh, so glad I did it. But during, I'm like, get me out of here. This sucks. <laughs> I, you know, it does, but I enjoy it. I I really enjoy it. And that is that is basically what we're talking about in today's episode. We are talking about the suffering, the pain, and that sort of allure and desire of being in the hurt and seeking out suffering. Uh, we chatted to the incredible author and journalist, Jenny Valentish, who we, oh my goodness, I just absolutely adore this episode. So um, Jenny Valentish has written several books, um, one in 2017 called Woman of Substances, and this is about her journey into addiction. Um, and then more recently, a couple of years later, she wrote Everything Harder Than Everyone Else, and that is all about how different sports and in particular extreme activities and extreme sports and extreme hobbies attract a certain type of people and why they're so attracted to those people. Um, she's also a regular contributor to the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, The Guardian, ABC, and she has her own workshops. Um, she's from the UK and she lives in Australia now. 
And she is just a fascinating lady and she applies herself to her work. So she's an immersion journalist. So she literally gets in and, and does the thing. So like her most recent thing was bodybuilding and she's just competed in a show and basically just like thrown herself completely into it to experience it. And yeah, I just love this episode. So we, we spoke about heaps. Um, we actually spoke about Jenny's personal journey with addiction because obviously that's what her original book was about. It was a memoir and she spoke about how she was heavily involved in drugs and then she was sober for eight years and now she's reintroduced that back. And then she sort of tell, talks us through some of the different chapters in both the books that she's written and some of the other work she's done. And again, obviously about the people who are drawn to these activities. And we talk about different fighting sports like boxing, MMA, and then into ultra running and just the way these groups of people that are drawn to them often have similarities and something that came up was trauma, which was really, I mean, it's a challenging conversation, but just really fascinating. And it's not, it's not a coincidence, right? That these things just keep emerging. Um, And we sort of spoke about how often these extreme activities are used to mask people's potentially inability to cope with their own adversity or trauma. And yeah, it was really interesting to hear Jenny's perspective of that because she's obviously gone and interviewed and experienced for herself a whole different array of people yet found so much similarity. And the capacity of these people to endure pain and suffering is actually quite different to what a sort of quote unquote normal person might be if they haven't experienced that sort of trauma or pain or suffering or some kind of adversity. And of course, we talk about how sustainable it is. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's just like could be its whole whole podcast episode, podcast <laughs> podcast episode. You're going so well. well. <laughs> um, and then something else that Jenny touched on the end was about telic and non-telic activities. And I'm not even sure if that's how you say it, but. I think atelic was the non. Oh, atelic and atelic. Anyway, basically. atelic? Maybe that's the atelic. Basically ones with an end goal and other activities with no end goal. And I just found it all so fascinating. And I think there's going to be a lot that will come up in this episode. Maybe not as much practical stuff for you to like go and like apply. Like I know we've had a lot of experts on which we've spoken about different musculoskeletal injuries, et cetera. Uh, But I think this episode is probably more one that you're going to listen to and pause and then sort of ask yourself questions. So hopefully you're listening to it at a time when you can really reflect. So maybe a long run is a good chance to like Mm. really absorb it and then ask yourself questions. And doesn't mean you necessarily have to change anything. I think that was really cool. Like Jenny said that at the end, she was like, if anything, I found acceptance as opposed to like trying to change who I am. It's more like accepting and observing. So yeah, I've definitely have a lot to reflect on uh, after speaking with Jenny and her book's amazing. Guys, check it out. Everything Harder Than Everyone Else. I listened to an audio book because sitting still for that long to read a a manual book manual book a hand a hand book is just so <laughs> physical and a hand book <laughs> a physical book it's been years anywho um guys check jenny out we've got all her links jenny valentish underscore public on insta or jennyvalentish.com and buy her book ever read buy books Yeah, it was fascinating, fascinating listen. I learned a lot and I'm sure that you will too. Thank you so much for your support. As always, reach out to Jenny if you've got any feedback or if you liked the episode, please let her know and let us know as well. And we will chat to you in the next one. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Alrighty, well, welcome back to the Strong Strive podcast. We are very, very excited to have the wonderful guest on today, Jenny Valentich, who is an author and journalist. And we are super inspired and fascinated by um, much of your work, but in particular, your book, Everything Harder Than Everyone Else. Um, she's a regular contributor to Sydney Morning Herald, The Guardian, you have your own workshops, and just very impressive writer and journalist. So welcome to the show, Jenny. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. What an intro. you've got a a very good resume and you've done plenty of exciting and interesting things so we're keen to hear all about them but if you want to let the listeners know a little bit more about yourself personally um, what you're doing with yourself now and how you've kind of got to the point where you're at with your career and just general life now sure well to keep it as relevant as possible to your listeners I'm someone who, (laughs) who didn't do any sport whatsoever until recently in fact I was really I mean I really loved sport at school actually as a kid but I went down the drugs and alcohol route quite enthusiastically. I kind of missed out on decades of what could have been really enjoyable, 
you know, whether it even just be using the gym or or actually going for a, a full sport. I feel like I've missed out on that a bit. But then age 43, I took up kick, kickboxing and absolutely loved it. Worked my way through, you know, into club fights and got to amateur level, and by, by which point I was 46. And it was kind of, um, it's a difficult sport to do when you're older. Like there aren't many people, even at amateur level, you know, in their 40s doing that. So so then I moved into bodybuilding. But as a journalist, um, kind of bought into the whole booze hound journalist trope when I was younger. Uh, and it, it's definitely one of those professions where anything goes. You know, you could, um, especially as a music journalist, which I was for years, you could really um, hide in plain sight. And so there was tons of drinking on the job and you know, it's all very much it's all very much about celebrating tortured artists as well. So I think a lot of journalists kind of like to lump themselves in in that category. I, I was working at things like a guitar mag and then at Ralph magazine here in Australia, if you remember that. It's like a kind of a lads mag. I did lots of stints just doing things like subbing, sub-editing for women's mags like Women's Health and Clio and Dolly and Cosmo. And then I edited J Mag, Triple J's magazine. And I'd say that the drinking really peaked at that point. As peaked as in it had to stop. By the time I got to my next job, which was Time Out Melbourne, which is all about, you know, drinking and eating in Melbourne, <laughs> I was actually sober, ironically. And then I gave up uh, drugs and alcohol for eight years and then so, sort of very carefully started introducing alcohol again. And it's been no cause for alarm ever since, I'm pleased to report. I think it's quite a huge break really eight years and it was spent very um, rigorously sort of questioning every kind of behavior and habit that I'd had and addressing them so I don't know whatever I did it worked so far but I did write an addiction memoir of sorts called Women of Substances and that came out in 2017 and it's found its way onto university curriculums um, it is used by drug and alcohol treatment facilities when they're um, talking to clients and also educating themselves and I talk at drug and alcohol conferences and it uses my story as kind of the case study, but I did tons of research into, you know, what makes us tick and what makes us do what we do, but particularly women. So there's chapters on um, our temperament and our personality and how that might influence us into pursuing a, a course of drugs and alcohol. There was chapters on how um, our mental health kind of intersects with, with our drug and alcohol use and particularly what kind of disorders and mental health issues we we self-medicate and with what um, I looked at how women's experiences while and you know while in active addiction how they differ to men's and how they sort of need different kind of attention really and I looked at the treatment sector as well through through a gender perspective I'm, I'm really proud of that book because it actually did create quite a stir and it wasn't your kind of traditional addiction memoir of which I read tons, which have this kind of trajectory of uh, here's my behavior getting more and more outlandish. And then I go to AA and the end. Um, I just thought that's really unrealistic. You know, mm. our lives are in flux and it just doesn't just go for addiction. It goes for any kind of illness, you know, like we don't just have an illness and then recover and everything's better or, or any kind of mental health issues, the same thing, you know, things kind of bob and weave and chop and change. And I hate the kind of reductive narrative of you, you stop something and then your life is fine. So it was, it was really trying to be realistic about that and look at things like harm minimization and how best to channel that kind of same, sometimes self-destructive energy once you decide to quit, if you do decide to quit, which kind of brings us up to everything harder than everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a journey. That's that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I think there's probably a lot of listeners who can maybe relate to your story and we should put a disclaimer out there. If there is anyone struggling with any addiction or anything, we'll put some resources in the show notes. But um, I think there is a strong correlation with that story for a lot of runners who have found sport or endurance or any of these pursuits because there's that ability to push yourself. There's that um, obsessive nature, especially with the metrics and the numbers and that constant ch chasing improvement. Um, and I'm sure that you can relate to that in a different sort of sense. So um, yeah, it's really good to hear that you've come out of that and come out the other side and, and you're doing so much good work in that area now. So that's, that's really inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. Um, do you want to now talk about, I guess, the inspiration behind the most recent book um, and dive into that a little bit as well? Yeah. Well, everything harder than everyone else took kind of one thought 
from women of substances, which was there's a certain kind of breed of person who, upon giving up drugs and alcohol, throws themselves into sport in a real headlong, not necessarily healthy way. I thought I'd really love to explore that topic more. By this point, I'd started doing Muay Thai and, um, of course, was pushing it as hard as I possibly could. And and so I thought, OK, well, what if I look at the more kind of extreme sports and by that, I mean, sports where. Uh, well, I'll give you some examples. Um, bodybuilding, which is, you know, by no stretches of the imagination, a healthy sport. Um, bare knuckle boxing, wrestling ultra running these are all sports where you really really put your body on the line and of course all athletes do but these ones in particular I think um so I wanted to look at those and think for each one like what does it offer people and does each sport that I've mentioned and there are more as well offer something different to people I started looking into it um you know shadowing people who who were really into these sports and interviewing them and doing research around it and just to give you one example of of how a sport might um, attract a certain personality type bodybuilding it can really offer you know because it's very regimented and very you know it's all about scheduling and you know um, monitoring and micromanaging yourself so it can offer this really um, like a, a relieving sense of order to people whose lives were once really chaotic and, you know, when you're writing these kind of books, there is a sense of, you know, finding patterns and cherry picking to an extent. But, you know, just as an example, the two main bodybuilders that I shadowed uh, were two women. One's called Courtney Olson. She runs the um, apparel company Girl. And the other one was Karen Adigas, who's a bodybuilder in Perth. Both of them had identical backstories it was just a bizarre coincidence but when I looked into why people get into bodybuilding more I was hearing these stories more and more so their backstories were that they both had experienced sexual abuse they both had really um inconsistent parenting like negligent parenting often um there might be drug use involved I found for people and so they had these childhoods where they just never knew what was coming next. And, um, you, you know, inevitably then in your 20s, you kind of go through this maniac phase of drinking drugs yourself and, you know, just being sort of all over the shop. But then eventually you come to this point where something's got to give. And so I think bodybuilding can really offer people this incredible sense of calming reliability. So that's a really mm. long answer to... <laughs> Uh, how this book works it was kind of seeing what these different things have to offer people oh it's just fascinating it's something that I find so intriguing and I think that sort of I guess the way I see it is like there's there's something about bodybuilding or whether it's bodybuilding or potentially running in an extreme sense but certain sports tend to lend themselves to it more where there's almost, I guess, how you describe, like it's it's almost quite therapeutic, calming. There's the numbers, you follow the regime, there's lots of structure. It's like yeah. a quite an orderly sort of thing. And there's probably a real sense of calm in that. And I think from my experience of reading um, books like The Body Keeps Score and even just some TED Talks around like what drives humans and that need for security and safety in my eyes, it sort of makes sense that like you've got this background of trauma, some kind of sport at a high level or something particularly like bodybuilding. And there's obviously other or potentially other activities that do have that sort of structure. Maybe it's just anything at a high level. It sort yeah. of makes sense, doesn't it? It's like this sort of rebound effect. And it's like really grasping on to something that is sort of so far from the past. Yeah. Um, I found as well that, I mean, I did a chapter on fighters so, you know, that could be bare knuckle, it could be boxing, it could be kickboxing. And then I did a chapter on martial arts, like more traditional martial arts. And those I found offered to people, they were appealing to people who had something to prove. Um, and it's almost, it's almost quite sad that, sad as in, not pathetic sad, but sad as in <laughs> makes my heart hurt for them a bit, you know. And I, bear in mind, I was someone who chose fighting as a path. <laughs> I think you can further subclass that as well. Like with boxing, it's like you have to prove something to others. Well, those violent sports, it's like you have to prove something to others. Whereas martial arts is more that you have to prove something to yourself. People drawn to martial arts uh, are often, they've often felt victimized or just sort of powerless, you know? And so 
it's I think with that it's a more sort of proving to yourself that you've got it within you so you're talking then about uh these people finding different sports whether it's fighting boxing whatever it is and uh I guess yeah having something to prove and do you think that that can then become dangerous if they are using these sports to cope um if this is kind of their only outlet to I guess aid in their their mental health improvement or do you think it is a healthy habit um or I guess it's a bit of a spectrum maybe yeah I think it's a spectrum yeah, I've got all sorts of thoughts on this, really. I, I, I did interview people who clearly were channeling this real restlessness or agitation into something more productive. And I didn't want to get into pathology too much in this book, but quite a few people I interviewed told me they had ADHD. So I'm talking about that kind of, you know, where do I put this energy that in the past might have gotten them into some trouble. But now they've found some kind of sport that they can they can really channel that into such as the wrestler crackerjack uh he didn't tell me he had a diagnosis by the way but he's got that same kind of energy where i call it the natural born leg jigglers where you know if if they weren't always on the move and throwing them on throwing themselves onto beds of nails or, or um like you know smashing lights tubes over each other's heads in the ring well they they you know it doesn't bear thinking about what would happen mm, yeah it definitely sounds good, like, when I think about um, how, you know, like, people often talk about, like, I, I keep sort of thinking about bringing it back to, like, running because that's something that I do a lot of. And I keep thinking, you know, it sounds great, like, oh, I, I get out, I go for my run, and, you know, it makes me feel good and all these things. And from my physio lens, like, I see patients all the time that are like, yeah, like, running's my outlet, running's my stress reliever, and it's awesome, and it's lovely, and it sounds very wholesome. And at the same time, I, I also see people who get injured and come in and yeah. they've lost their outlet. And so it becomes very uh, quickly noticeable that that was their only outlet and their only coping strategy. And for me, I see that as really not sustainable. Like how it just doesn't seem very whole and very complete. Like we've only got this one thing that we can do and like whether it's alcohol or some kind of drug or bodybuilding or whatever it is, like if it's just one thing, surely that just isn't sustainable but then maybe it is better than like taking drugs I don't I don't know uh, but it does sort of seem like an incomplete and like almost like an avoidance of, of such there was a recent documentary on the bodybuilder Ronnie Coleman who has had two hip replacements multiple back surgeries I'm not sure if he can actually walk now the documentary was following him you know in between hospital appointments just going to the gym and like absolutely pushing himself through more reps and one doctor in the documentary observed, look, for his overall well-being, I think he needs to, mm-hmm. as in, you know, if you have to weigh up mind and that kind of well-being versus the impact on the body, sometimes maybe, sometimes, you, you know, working out and overtraining is the thing. Talking of overtraining, I uh, competed in a bodybuilding competition like seven weeks ago, and I'm still recovering. And that includes extreme vagueness. So I, I do apologize, but there's... <laughs> I'm I'm super curious about your experience into bodybuilding because obviously you've got this history of, I guess, addictive tendencies and that very like all in mentality or at least capacity to channel that. And it sounds yeah. like you've done a lot of work personally and also professionally, and it sounds like they're intertwined as well. And so I'm so curious about your decision to sort of go into bodybuilding and what that experience has been like. And obviously now post doing a competition and I think you won the competition that you went in right did I get that right yeah well I I entered different categories so I was competing as a a figure athlete and I won first timer and I came third out of five in the masters congratulations that's huge yeah yeah it was um yeah it was incredible actually it was something i wanted to do having really gained an admiration for Courtney and Karen who I mentioned earlier who I shadowed for the book and bodybuilders in general it's that sort of thing where you you think I won't do that but then it just kind of sits there in the back of your mind until you realize actually you are going to do it and you know in parts it was that fish out of water thing of you've got to get on stage in a ridiculous tan and sequins rhinestones rather and high heels and how uncomfortable is that so that was kind of appealing especially from a journalist point of view, I kind of mm. consider myself to be like a stunt journalist or, um, you know, it's where journalism meets performance art. Um, but I also 
once I started and had a mission, because I always need missions and goals, I thought the discipline needed to do this when you reach the prep stage, which for me was four months of calorie deficit diet and going to the gym, you know, to do cardio and then later to do weights. Discipline for that was, you know, something I've never experienced before. And it required so much sacrifice and so much sort of laser focused attention. Um, And it was just fantastic to sort of put yourself through it and get to know yourself and know that you can do it. It also has its drawbacks, you know, like it's um, famously bodybuilding is quite hard on your relationships. I'm actually really lucky. Like it didn't affect our relationship in an interpersonal way. It just affected the fact that my partner couldn't do as much as he would have liked to. You know, he stayed in more um, and he cut back on his drinking massively and sort of changed his diet so it affected my relationship in that way but yeah also it's um you become it's almost like you become elderly and you know you speak to old people that there's they haven't got much to talk about because they haven't really been doing anything so you become (laughs) quite boring because literally (laughs) all you can talk about or think about is food and have you done enough at the gym today? And, and you just can't pass a mirror without lifting your top up and checking your abs. It's, just, it's really weird. Wow. Do you think that's sustainable? Like, obviously, you've done it once now. Are you going to continue pursuing that? Do you think that it's healthy for someone to be doing that, I guess, long term? Or um, are there kind of dangers with that becoming your whole life kind of permanently, I guess? I think there's a danger to, to it becoming your whole life if that's what you want, mm-hmm. you know. Bodybuilding for a lot of people becomes a lifestyle and it does influence their whole life in a positive way. Mm. But there is a danger for your health if if um, perhaps you have some kind of weaknesses in the first place. By weaknesses, I mean like a predisposition to things. So I think, for instance, I was probably the absolute worst age to do it because I'm 48 and I haven't I haven't gone through the menopause. but you know, the closer you get to that age, the more your hormones are kind of very sensitive and volatile. And so it's completely temporarily, one hopes, screwed up my hormones, um, which I thought would probably happen. And also I had um, I had some underlying kidney issue that I had suspected was the case, but um, it wasn't until I was doing blood tests throughout the bodybuilding process that it, that started to get quite worrying and it it was um the results kept sort of changing which suggested that it was real hardcore workouts and things like dehydration Mm -hmm. that were influencing them and then they might recover a bit and then they get you know get worse and then recover a bit so you know obviously it's not a great sport for your body you have to it's it's all about getting super lean I got down to 7.9 percent body fat on the um on the gym's body scan. I don't know how accurate they are, but it's mm-hmm. like, by any stretch of the imagination, even if it was a bit more, that's not good. Mm-hmm. But it's necessary. Yeah, I mean, it, it does. It, it sounds extreme, right? And I think it's probably quite easy to become desensitized to how extreme that is when you're completely wrapped in it. Because, and as you said, like, it's all you can think about. And so you're talking to other bodybuilders, you're surrounded by probably Instagram feeds now saturated with it. And I think at any level of any sport, it, it can sort of become like that. And I think um, there's a relatively low barrier to entry with something like bodybuilding. Like a lot of people will just start, like it's not Olympic lifting where there's a specific technique and skill, which will take a long time to figure out. Obviously yeah. the level of commitment and discipline is extraordinary yet just about anyone can just say, all right, I'm just yeah. going to go and do it. And it's just great in a way, isn't it? Because mm. it's usually a barrier to entry. Like, oh, I'd be way too old to do most sports. Or, you know, I just, I didn't get into this young enough at school, for instance, and that pathway is kind of close to me now. So it's, it's great that anyone can if they put their mind to it. But of course, that means you're kind of feeling around in the dark, relying on, is this, does, does this trainer have my best interests at heart do they are they paying close enough attention to me especially as a female and noticing things that are going on like you, you kind of have to put blind faith in things there's not mm. you're not part of a team you know no and I think there's like similarities with ultra running especially at the moment it's become a lot more popular and, and almost quite trendy like there seems to be a big running boom and in particular it seems to be shifting to these ultra distances mm. and previously the ultra stuff was like a lot more of an older crowd and just it wasn't as cool it was like just something that people did and it seemed a bit wacky but now it just seems to be 
like, okay, once you've done your marathon, now you do an ultra marathon. And then once yes. you've done 50, then it's a hundred K's and then it's a multi-day. And I mean, I have patients all the time coming to the clinic and they've, yeah, they've done their first half marathon a month ago. And they're like, yes, yeah, so I'm going to do hundred K's in December. I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, so exciting. Like what a cool thing to work towards and having that goal and the enthusiasm and all that. Um, and it is also still sort of an extreme sport, right? Like people get to that point where their legs are cramping and they seize up and people faint and people have broken bones. Like we have all these, I guess, like crazy things when you sort of zoom out and be like, well, like how is that just like an activity that people are doing on their weekend? Um, yeah. Yet it is normal because it just becomes your normal. And like for me, if, so- if someone says, oh, I just ran 50Ks on the weekend, it's just not that cool anymore I mean I, I still think it's great but at the same time it's it's I've become desensitized to it because I people are doing that all the time in my world because that's my environment so it, you know do you know what I'm saying like you sort of lose your gauge of what is normal and what's extreme and what's sustainable you know it's weird because I mean everyone knows ultra running is excruciating and and bad for the well I shouldn't say bad for the body it's irresponsible <laughs> but you know if you haven't worked up to it properly Mm. Um, or you do one race after another after another. Then even your experienced runners, like ones I interviewed, like Luke Tabersky and Charlie Engel, are getting horrible injuries. It's it was quite interesting actually. So ultra running became the first chapter of the book, and I I'd, I'd noticed there are quite a lot of memoirs out there from ultra runners who had come to it from drug use, which I found really interesting. So there's Charlie Engel's Running Man. Rich Roll, Finding Ultra, Cara Corbett's, Katra Corbett's um, Reborn on the Run, Caleb Daniloff's Running Ransom Road, and then there's two called The Long Run. There's one by Katriona Menzies-Pike and one by Mishka Shibali. So that's a whole bunch. I'm sure there's more. And I was thinking about, well, what is it about running long distances in particular? And I think there's all sorts of reasons um, why there's that kind of parallel with addiction or people come to it from having had active addiction and um in a sense there's you know the psychological thing of outrunning your problems in uh in addiction speak there's this concept of the geographical it's where people you know move town move country in the hope that they can just leave the problem behind them but it's, it's always tied to their tail but also i think running long distances there's a sense of self-flagellation you're also driven by extreme motivation and so when i interviewed Charlie Engel, who's this American ultra runner who's about 60, his book was all about how he gave up crack and booze for running, although the two overlapped for a bit. I'm not sure how he managed that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And he said the most exciting thing about a drug binge for him had been the acquisition of the drug. And like once you've got it, it's all downhill from there. And Mm. so if you think about that mindset, well, people who are ultra runners have to plan races, they have to train, have to think ahead. And it's all about that point on the horizon you know um that race and of course once it happens there's this come down crash which can probably only be um you know staved off by planning the next one but charlie also talked about his need for validation so you know when people say to him oh my god you're going to run across the sahara and then do this and then do that how he said it's comparable to when he was using crack and people would be like you're not going to smoke that much, are you? Like, oh my God, you're hardcore. Mm. Um, And then possibly lastly, there's the idea of, you know, if people who are attracted to drugs and alcohol problematically, they might have felt like an outsider, but now here's this opportunity later in life to turn being an outsider into being an outlier. Mm. There's something about that, that to me, like the first thing that comes to my head is insecurity and like, this real need for external external validation. And there's definitely lots of people that I've come across in my life. And I can think of so many specific examples where there have been people, and like it's not definitely not everyone in the running community or every ultra runner, yet people that have this need and desire, well, I mean, it's, it's like the title of your book, Everything Harder Than Everyone Else. They just have to do that little bit extra. And whether it's like, I did this run and... I didn't even stop for a drink break or like I didn't bring food or I didn't have kept going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like there's always something. And like, I can, I can think of some particular examples where, you know, it's, 
there's always that extra level and like, or like I did this race and I didn't taper for it and I didn't even train for it. And there's always something. And I think it's fair enough. Like a lot of people have this sort of competitive nature and there's something about wanting to sort of make it seem, oh, well, you know, like I did this thing and it was, it was really great. And like, I, I didn't even have like something to make it sound cool and exciting. And I, I think I don't want to sort of compare like being a bit competitive and trying to like one up a competitor because I think that's separate but the going to the extreme of it having to be so hardcore and so like next level and I think you I feel like you mentioned this in your book or maybe it was an interview that I listened to how a lot of ultra running is often marketed as this like gritty like hardcore and like you see people looking like they're just about dying and like you know like it's sold as this like painful thing and people yeah. want to be then validated for that. And, and to me, I'm just like, surely there's this deep insecurity where people are just like really struggling to have that sense of purpose or like deep connection with people or just like, uh, you know, uh, I guess like a sense of, a strong sense of self or worth, you know? I think David Goggins has a lot to answer for here. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask what you thought about, about Goggins. Uh, right, yeah. So when he's doing his kind of running along videos, you know, Navy SEAL style, where he's like berating himself, stroke you. And the fact that he called his memoir, Don't Hurt Me. No, sorry. Can't hurt me. Yeah. Speaks <laughs> volumes, you know. Um, but that kind of showing off element as well. My boyfriend's really into cold water therapy. So he's getting me into it as well. And so he's he's kind of always on Facebook with his... Um, I look over his shoulder and he's in those kind of ice bath communities, but everyone's trying to, you know, up the ante and mm. brag about how long they've stayed in and that kind of thing, which is just not the point. Um, and it turns into a pissing competition sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's definitely an element. And of course, the fact that we're living in this Instagram TikTok age means that it's really hard to not let that performative element uh, kind of infiltrate what you do sometimes. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, it's so glamorized on social media. I mean, the ice bath is, is something I've actually spoken about quite a bit recently because it's become super trendy in Sydney. And I feel like there's this new boom of the ice baths. And, yeah. you know, like, it makes you feel good, all those things, whatever, go for it. And I've definitely gone and done it myself. Um, and, yeah, it's so interesting because, again, like, I just liken that to all the different, like, everything we've spoken about, about wanting to, do that next hardcore thing and I guess back to the whole Gorgon's um I guess well I mean it's just like his whole narrative isn't it like I I find that fascinating and I had started to read his book after I just read The Body Keeps Score which is just so opposite I don't know if you're familiar with that book but it's, it's all about trauma right and then going to Gorgon's book it was like oh my goodness, I've got this trauma. And basically like, yeah, the title of the book can't hurt me. It's like, you just shove it into the ground and you just keep on going. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like I'm all about being tough and gritty, but at the same time, like, is that not just like completely ignorant? And like, how sustainable is this? And how healthy is this for people? And like, what what are we like really, are we, are we just hiding from the inner work that needs to be done? I think it's just different strokes for different folks. So, and I, I'm not sure everyone is capable of doing that inner work I mean for instance you know the meditation and um, yoga is offered as a you know a solution to most things but actually if you've had a lot of physical or sexual trauma then it can be not a good thing to be sitting and being with yourself it's now thought um but I remember um Henry Rollins, who's he's the singer who is super into weightlifting as well. Um, I remember reading an essay he wrote, and it, he said um, he, he'd grown up like scared of his parents and scared of everyone. Like he'd the walk to school would be a nightmare. And a teacher got him into weightlifting, and he said it was the first time I can remember having a sense of myself. I had done something and no one could ever take it away. You couldn't say shit to me. And for him, like smashing his body constantly and pushing through the pain barrier was like me time. It's meditative me time. Um, and he said, I used to fight the pain, but recently it became clear to me, pain is not my enemy. It's my call to greatness. So, I mean, how can you argue with that? <laughs> it sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on pain then? Because 
that's obviously a, a big theme in your book and a lot of the work you've done and obviously this conversation as a whole. Pain, I think, at least, gosh, here I am just like giving my perspective, which is just like a, a combination of me just like parroting different things I've read. But like there has to be a balance right in life, like the yin and the yang and the dark and the light. And, you know, I always say this like with patients and they come in and they have injuries and like, yeah, it sucks but you come back more resilient and stronger and all those good things um yeah it sucks when it sucks right and there's also something that I think is quite therapeutic about when it's hard like you know climbing up a mountain it's hard and exhausting and you get to the top and it's so rewarding Uh, but do you think that people's relationship with pain in these sort of extreme sports like let's say if we are talking about ultra running do you think that that has become like warped in sort of like even if it is just well just a 50k or just 100k like is that now a unhealthy relationship with pain or is, is there some level, and it's probably going to be a nuanced answer, right? But is there some level that is just part of being human and like that's healthy to like have that balance of like pain and reward? What are your thoughts around that? It's funny. Charlie Engel said balance is overrated. And I thought, <laughs> he said that, I thought, yeah. Because <laughs> about balance and it's like, like, I just, I'm not, I am not wired that way. Mm. I'm, I'm wired now to like be very um, organized and stuff, but balance, no, I'm still going to push myself and overtrain um, and pay the price. Um, <laughs> so somebody has some really interesting thoughts on this was um, Camilla Fogagnolo, who is a Tasmania-based strongman athlete and powerlifter. And um she had this really full-on childhood on homeschooled on a farm where her dad was this former athlete who made the kids just do these drills all day, like athletic drills. And they really didn't get to socialize much. And other stuff, you know, went on as well. She talks about, you know, being sexually abused and um all sorts of things that she had to contend with. And she wonders now if her ability to keep pushing through, because she said, I'm I've never understood it. I'm, you know, I'm not the most gifted athlete, but, you know, I was consistently beating the gifted athletes. Like they might, you know, drop out or just not perform well. And I I realized it's, you know, I'm I'm using this childhood adversity as grist for the mill. Like the fact that I've experienced this pain allows me to experience more without it being too much of an issue. It's kind of like a thermostat or something. Mm. and she cited this study. She told me about this study, which became quite key to the book. Um, and it was uh, in 2016, sports psychology professor Lou Hardy and a professor of sport, Tim Reese in London. I forget which uni, I'm afraid. <clears throat> they had 32 participants. 16 of them were super elite athletes who'd won multiple gold levels, at, like Olympic kind of standard. And then they had 16 just athletes from the same disciplines. And they were looking at commonalities and differences between the groups. And there are some commonalities, like often people have been raised to have a strong work ethic. But there was one difference. Every single super elite athlete had experienced childhood trauma, whether that be, you know, sexual abuse, parental death, whatever it was, um, every single one of them. And so they've put it to use in my mind, like they're using it as fuel and energy. And Camilla says, I bet you anything, if you look at an elite athlete, they they don't self-harm. The reason being is they're already harming themselves through their sport, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. And do you think then that our ability to uh, endure through pain or suffering, do you think that that ability is capped and the capacity of that is capped related to our suffering potentially in some sort of traumatic way or as a child like do you think that you've sort of got to have almost this or do you think anyone can learn without experiencing any adversity to endure and and suffer more I think Camilla's point was really that she would persevere where perhaps others might give up so it's not that you have to have adversity to become a good athlete of course not but it might give you that extra grit so um yeah I, I mean I think you have to sort of make that distinction really I mean it sort of makes sense that the, the grit like capacity of grit surely that extra edge is something that you can't just create without sort of having adversity right like if that seems to just be a constant theme that comes up 
or, or maybe you can just learn it. I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's, it feels like too much. Like it's, it's obviously not a coincidence that it keeps popping up that theme of, of trauma, right? I mean, I, th- I think we talk about the tortured artists. I think the tortured athlete is a much stronger trope. Mm. I mean, you read any sporting memoir, it's like, oh my God, your childhood. <laughs> you know, tyrannical father or something. So yeah, they, they've been sort of pushed to the edge and almost like, I guess, uh, forged into something stronger. Yeah, I mean, it, may, it makes sense. I think it takes a lot to push through and be at a top level in anything, right? Like, the level of commitment from just being organized, like logistically committing to the, the training hours and then actually like on race day or whatever it is, or like when you're at the gym lifting those heavy weights and it's it's so exhausting, it's so hard and like you're in the hurt and you're pushing through and and some people do just, it will just seem to be able to handle more, right? Like they will sit in that hurt for longer and it's not that they're necessarily not hurting as much as other people, but they're very comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? And just to go back to Charlie Engel for the millionth time, because he's such a good interviewee, he said he would run to prove to himself he could, like, but also as like a purge, like a punishment. Um, So it's kind of almost this idea of being purified. So by pushing through pain and showing you can endure pain, it's kind of purification. But also I think maybe... For people who have experienced trauma, to then do things that push your mind and body to extremes, uh, you're pressure testing yourself. And it's like demonstrating to your inner child that I can handle this. That's, you know, that's a bit of a woo theory, but I I think there's some truth in that. I'll tell you what as well, there there was one person I interviewed was a female boxer. And she told me that when she'd, she'd experienced something in her childhood that was traumatic, but I'm not sure what it was. Um, but she said that when she gets in the ring, you know, the bell goes and she's she's going at it one-to-one with an opponent. There's this real strong realisation that no one's going to come in and rescue you. And it's like this, it's like she's sort of re-traumatising herself from her younger years it's like no everyone's watching and there's a ref sure but you know really mm-hmm. it's just you and this other person no one's going to come and help you and so it's this real test for her to show herself that she can endure what was so unendurable when she was younger yeah and I guess you've then got the ability to control like you're choosing to put yourself in that situation whereas like in previous yeah. times she wouldn't have had that option so it's almost like showing like yeah I'm going to do this by choice and I'm going to yeah, prove it, prove it to myself and prove it to everyone else that I can handle whatever yeah. adversity is. So yeah, that's a really cool correlation. Um, have you got any advice for any of our listeners, any sort of takeaways that the endurance runner can, I guess, think about more than anything, maybe they can um, open up some of their perspectives or have some new ideas around how they currently, I guess, frame their training or how they think about their training. And maybe they're at either end of the spectrum with, if they've kind of had this all in obsession um, and they can't sort of get running out of their mind or it's become this really addictive uh, behavior for them. Any kind of thoughts around how they can frame that to, to become a more sort of sustainable habit, or do you think they can just sort of let loose and just have this as their thing that they just push themselves and, and um, go through that, that pain because it's in some ways a healthier habit than others. I think if people have listened this far, they'll know I'm the worst possible person to give them advice. But I will. <laughs> advice that I've gathered from elsewhere the first is from a sports psychologist you know the way sports psychology is focused now it's really on trying to broaden people's sense of identity because inevitably at some point you're going to get injured and or have to retire what then you know there's going to be this complete identity crisis so there's a real push to sort of encourage people to look at okay well I'm a um, tennis player but I'm also you know, an auntie, I also love doing this, I also love doing that, and and really working hard to see yourself as a multifaceted person, so you're not entirely tied to that sport with your identity. And also, there's the concept of telic and atelic activities, and so telic activities are, it's a Greek term, I think it was, (laughs) when you um, do something which has an end goal, so an end point, so you know, it could be a race, could be a match. Um, 
it's it's getting all that dopamine squirting and it's you're very much hyper focused on that one thing uh, which is fine but you need to balance that with atelic activities which are things that you do for the pure sake of enjoyment and I looked at my life when I heard that and I thought there's literally nothing atelic in there whatsoever nothing and there never has been <laughs> like even as a kid I wouldn't just do a drawing it had to be a card that I was going to give to x you know mm-hmm. everything had to have a purpose and an outcome um so I had to kind of work hard to introduce some atelic things into my life and probably people listening if they thought about it don't have that many either Mm-hmm. Oh, I find that so interesting. That's something I um, have thought about a lot. I didn't know I was never, um, oh gosh, can't speak, can I? Those, I haven't heard of those words is what I'm trying to say, atelic, atelic. Um, but it's something I've thought about heaps, like identity and identity in sport and having things outside of it. I think I've had my fair share of injuries. And so I find that fascinating. And I guess my word for atelic activities would be activities for play. And so that's something I've really put a lot of focus on in my life the last couple of years managing injuries and have activities that are just play and there's just there's no purpose as possible but it's so hard because when you're and it sounds like you are too Jenny like you're so used to having such a goal and such an outcome that so quickly you want to put a number on it and a time on it and I've recently gotten into free diving and already I'm like oh I need to get a diving watch so I know how far I dived and I'm like no Lydia don't like stop like you're not doing that like you're just here floating around looking at the fish but it's so interesting to see where my brain goes and I and now I observe this in other people all the time like what like a weird way some people just approach but also it's just it's I guess it's so human right some people just wired like that yeah so the thing I'm training for next having realized you really need to give your body a break um (laughs) is trekking in the pool oh Um, Next Such year. a break. So easy. <laughs> Maybe I'm underestimating. <laughs> but, you know, it's not, you can do it at your own pace, right? So yeah. there's that. Um, but I've, I've been worrying about it because it was my boyfriend's idea and I've been worrying about it thinking, this is, you know, they're about, it could be like 14 days, 17 days. How is my mind going to go, okay, you just get to that ledge? You know, because at the gym, I'm kind of going, right, you only have to do three more sets and, blah, 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 and, <laughs> and then finish, finish, finish. Um, and you can't do that when you're walking for two weeks. So I don't know what my head's going to do. I am actually genuinely worried about how to do it. In fact, ultra runners will probably have some good tips on that because you can't do that with ultra running either. You can't go, right, you just have to do the next 17 hours and you're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got to break it down smaller steps one step at a time right but yeah it can be quite overwhelming I guess it's it's so nice to challenge yourself in different ways and something that's so so different and um yeah it's gonna be a cool experience but I think that uh mindset of being out there for a long time you just have to just embrace it and just like take in the surroundings and and do it one step at a time and and all that I think it's gonna be really cool um we might wrap things up unless you had any more questions Lydia um, I just I just love to know like overall what do you think the biggest learnings have been for you personally because obviously I mean it sounds like this journey when you were just you know when you're writing your original memoir started from your own curiosity about your behaviors and so you've gone on this whole journey being involved in different sports and challenging yourself in different ways what have you learned about yourself and, and changed about how you approach things? Have you had some big sort of like um, 180 moments or things that you've radically changed or has it just been a, a sort of slow evolution? Writing everything harder than everyone else uh, made me really accept myself probably for the first time because I felt like, wow, these people I'm interviewing are my tribe and I totally respect their choices <laughs> and I think they've come up with really novel and inventive ways of dealing with these, you know, their sort of um, brain chemistry and their personality traits. Um, I, I have an, uh, a diagnosis of ADHD myself. And so, you know, I do have that problem of overtraining and um, being a bit bombastic and not finding it hard to rein myself in. So it was kind of good to, find people who are just like yeah and that's just the way it is and and then I contemplate that my uh 
poor decisions for a bit and then I do it again. Um, so <laughs> there was a sense of acceptance for sure. Um, but also I just loved, you know, each chapter really with each sport was almost like a subculture um, and like getting access to this kind of underground world. Um, and so it was just fascinating. And I just enjoyed every second of writing that book and meeting those people, these real larger than life characters. I love hearing that. And yeah, that's that's wonderful. I'm yeah, really happy to hear that you feel accepted and a part of this weird, wacky community of <laughs> extreme hobbies, activities and sports. And I think probably a lot of the listeners will relate to that feeling, obviously not having written your book, but just relate to that feeling of acceptance, hearing about people going to these crazy lengths to do their hobby or activity or, or whatever it is. So thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate your time and sharing all your learnings from all the people that you've met and from your own experiences as well. It's been really insightful. And I think a lot of um, correlations to the, to what the listeners have probably been through as well and things that they can relate to. So I think that's going to be really inspiring for some of the listeners as well. Um, if people want to reach you, it's probably Instagram, I guess, the best way, which is at JennyValentish underscore public. Um, you've also got your website, JennyValentish.com. You do workshops, writing, coaching, talks, all sort of things. And obviously the books, I'm assuming they're available anywhere that you can get a book online probably would be the best place. Exactly. Just Google it. It'll come up. Perfect. Easy. We'll have some links below so people can reach that directly. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Jenny. I just love chatting to you. So really stoked to have you on and appreciate you so much.